The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. I'm Sharon Kleina. Almost seven years ago, I, when I decided to have a radio talk show that, with Voice America, World Talk Radio, and now we're syndicated. We have Apple, iTunes, and more. It is exciting. The power of water has come so far, and we're learning every day throughout the world about who we are as life on, the, on this planet. It's water. W-A-T-E-R, water is the most important part, of, not part, most important life for you to live. It's the fresh water. And the atmosphere is invincible water. Now, I'm going to teach you something, and I'm going to keep pounding the pavement on this reminding you. You are made up of water. You're a walking sponge. The brain is 80 to 85% water. Your teeth are 8 to 10% water. Your lungs are 75 to 80% water. Your heart is 75 to 80% water. Your liver is 70 to 75% water. Your bones are 20 to 25% water. Your skin is 70 to 75% water. Your kidneys are 80 to 85% water. Your blood is 50% water. Your muscles are 70 to 75% water. Now, what are you? Water. Now, There's an article out there that was written so far back in time in the 1800s that you need to understand. Way back in the 1800s, they knew more about life on this planet and the water than our technology has been discovering any new. And I'm going to go a little extreme. We have scientists that really believe they're brilliant enough to understand what is happening. But for some reason, we have forgotten to educate the leaders of the world and our population of the world that without water, there is no life, and without water, there is diseases and a crisis. And the word dehydration I brought back into focus with my research. As you all know, I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research Center. And for many, many, many years, we put millions of dollars behind studying the effects of fresh water the atmosphere, and the impact on human life, causing a dehydration effect. And the one thing I've learned, and when I studied way back into the 1800s, that when it came along to the 1900s, we as a population wanted anything that was quick. We always wanted everything to be quick. 
in research, those of us in study know nothing is quick because there's always so much more. The technology that we're learning is technology to bring together, to be able to document evaluations, not just theories, evaluations that are a fact, the truth. Without water, there is no life. Without the fresh water, people are beginning, the diseases are out of control. Like I, I predicted this years and years ago. So that's why I chose to study the impact on human life. It's been said, if we could cruise the universe in a quest for life, we would do well to search for the worlds with water. We may, might not recognize life on dry planets, even if it existed. All organisms familiar to us are made mostly of water and live in other features of the environment. Here on Earth, it dominates the climate and all of the environment. Biological medium, the substance that makes possible life as we know it. Each cell that we have in the body by millions of cells are water. We've had on our show a Nobel Prize winner who said, would you believe it, Sharon? It took them 25 years, multi-millions of dollars to recognize that the, they gave us a Nobel to prove there's water in the, the molecule is water in the cell. Now, isn't that a fascination? I think we could have been educating each other much quicker about our bodies, our, our life, the impact of water on the planet. The planet is a living organism of life. And billions of years ago, it started a, 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 a plan, all with nature's plan. But we learned along the way that we needed to understand the, with the word technology of how to maneuver the water. If you've known it, we've had a guest on here who was a master at technology and how to document it. And he said, do you know what the first technology that ever was? Water. Water, moving water, to moving the water around to different locations to be able to be usable because they found it to be a technology. Along the way, we learned the technology of food. It's all technology. We learned the technology of exercise. We learned the technology how to drink water. We learn the technology of how to exercise and, and sleep. It's, 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 it shouldn't be just only nature. You've got to learn. So I've been teaching everybody that you are water, and the impact of fresh water on the earth has an impact on you because of the impact it has in the influence on the atmosphere we live in. And this is the process. The moment you left your mother's pocket of water, and you entered in that air you breathe for the first time as a brand new born life on planet, the air is an invisible water is keeping you alive. Drinking water is vital. So I'm going to give you five steps from me. And please listen about how to save lives and your life and your health. Number one, you need to learn to breathe because that's breathing that atmosphere that keeps you alive, number one. Breathing is vital. It's vital. And if you don't know how, go over to Effie Chow, Dr. Effie Chow, Ph.D. on the Internet. Look her up. 
She'll teach you how to breathe. Number two, you need to drink water, plain water, fresh water, not with added ingredients. It'll block absorption. Oh, yes, you can put a little lemon in it, a lemon wedge. Drink fresh eight to ten glasses of fresh water a day. It's a must. You're dehydrating too quickly today. Number three, good nutrition. It's vital. We're learning from our scientists. We've had Harvard on here. We've had others on here. We've had Dr. Philip Payton from Medford, Oregon, who's an ophthalmologist surgeon, who said it is vital. The nutrition is vital to your life. It's a new technology we're learning about how you eat, what you eat. It's vital to your digestion. Number four, it's moderate exercise. Moderate. Because if you over-exercise, you're going to dehydrate too much. So be wise how you exercise. But it is important. The last one is sleeping. The earth goes to sleep too. These are all things about earth. Earth has to live with the moisture in the air. Earth has aquifers below the surface of the earth that are sustaining the planet earth with the atmosphere. Earth has to have nutrients. The soil needs to be healthy. The soil needs water and the aquifers below. Earth has a motion with the satellite, with the, and, 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 uh, with the um, solar system. It has a motion. It's keeping, and it has climate changes to give it that moment of exercises, moments. It goes to sleep. So remember, you're a, you're a very valuable part of this. You are an influence on the whole planet as a person. But you've got to learn it's the water. And without water, there is no life. And it's no different than stranding people on top of a mountain in Iraq and taking the water away from them. It's not going to be the food. It's going to be the water to keep them alive. And Saddam Hussein, way back in time, was so angry at the tribes for, for siding with the foreigners, with the Russians. So he went over and bulldozed all the water so the animals and the generations would die. It was one of the worst mass destructions there was. It was absolutely, all you have to do to be an enemy of someone is take away their water. And it's like when we had Captain Orr on here with the U.S. Navy pilot, he said when he was in his cockpit and his fighter plane, he didn't put a gun in his, on his waist. He put wa- enough water that if he should go down, he had some water to survive until they found him. So let's use our heads. Let's think out. Think. That's the water. And we've got to do this together. It can't just be a few. It can't just be a few million. It's got to be a whole planet of people getting together and deciding. It's the water first. Nothing else is more important. Well, thank you for giving me the time to listen to my commentary each week here with Voice America and all of our syndication. And we are excited about the futures. And we're really excited about our press releases. They're getting a lot of attention. We're very pleased with that. Today, we have Maud Powell with the Oregon State University Extension Service. We're going to discuss small farms, which is one of my favorite topics. 
we've had throughout the United States, the farmers and the agriculture uh, from, from east to west on indoor farms, little gardens, I mean, outdoor small ones, large ones by thousands of acres. But today we're going to talk to Maud and the Oregon State University Extension Service about what's happening. And they just happen to be in southern Oregon, only 30 minutes from me. And I'm sitting here in the farmlands of the world. And the most beautiful spot in the world are these farmlands in southern Oregon. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, first. Did you know that the surface of your eye is 99% water? What is vision impairment? What is electrolytic ability for healthy vision? It's the water. You, have to, you cannot have a dehydration. Water loss. And years ago, ophthalmology research asked me if I would study the water like I did the skin. I did, and I showed them. The supplementation to the eyes is vital for healthy vision. And then I decided we would do Nature's Tears Eye Mist because they asked me if I would do it. And I did. Biologic Aqua put on the market, going to the world, going into China, all over. The Nature's Tears Eye Mist to supplement the eyes that are so important for daily nourishment, nutrition to the eyes. Well, listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Maud Powell. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Ahmad, are you with us? I am. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah. It's kind of fun to have somebody not far from here. Mm hmm. Yeah, so, um, but on the show, I like to find out the guest a little bit about the person, and sure. I don't care if it's a Nobel Prize winner or a scientist from Kenya, whoever. Um, tell us, Maud, about you personally. Um, where are you, where are you from, and why did you decide to do what you're doing? Well, I actually grew up in Washington D.C. Um, I was born in the early '70s, and I went to college on the East Coast as well. And then um, during college, I had visited Oregon with a friend, and as soon as I visited, I knew that I wanted to 
live here. So as soon as Natalie I got out of college. Natalie in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is so beautiful. I got out of college. And and, sorry, what was that? Oregon is beautiful. I'm a born Oregonian. Yes. And well, uh, when I've done yeah. things in Manhattan and all over the country, they say, you're from Oregon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I So you're I now visited, from Oregon. I'm now from Oregon. I visited Oregon when I was, I think I was 19 at the time. And oh. yeah, as soon as I graduated from college, I, I got a job. Um, now, what did you take in college? I actually, I studied, I, was, I went to a liberal arts college and I studied comparative religion. Um, so uh-huh. nothing that I've used really in my career, but I learned mm-hmm. to read and write and think critically and kind of shape my worldview. Well, in religion, <laughs> didn't you learn a lot about history? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. History and yeah. sociology and philosophy. Yeah. and That's understanding the algorithm of this planet Earth and nature yeah. of it. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I enjoyed it. And then, um, so I moved to Eugene and worked um, for a couple years. I met my husband then, and then we saved up money. We both love backpacking. Um, and so we actually traveled back to India so that we could... Um, oh trek in the Himalaya Mountains. Oh, my wonderful. Oh, I can <laughs> yeah, hardly wait to hear about that one today, too, a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. fantastic. And um, oh, during yeah. that time, we were in the Himalayas, and we found out about a farm internship program. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up working for three months on a family farm in a mm-hmm. region of India called Ladakh, which is up on the Tibetan Plateau. Uh-huh. And it was that time we really fell in love with small-scale agriculture, and we mm-hmm. decided at that point we wanted to move back to Oregon and wow. start our own farm. Wow. Oh, so you have a farm of your own, too? Yes, yeah. In fact, and that's wow. how I got into my OSU now, what do you? Now, before we move on to the, mm-hmm. what we're doing today is to get the world involved, uh, yeah. you probably noticed a lot of water up in the Himalayan mountains. Yeah, the region that we were in is actually very dry. It's it's on the oh, Tibetan okay. Plateau, so it's in the rain shadow of the Himalayan, uh, the high okay. Himalayan peaks. Mm-hmm. So the region mm-hmm. we were in was about three inches of rainfall a year. Wow. And so the farmers up there are irrigating off of glacial melt. Okay, there we go. Okay. Yeah, so that's the relationship to water. Yeah, so they're able to... Um, irrigate everything from that glacial melt, which has been declining as the glaciers have been receding. So I've, I've read that, right. I've yeah, read about since, that. Since we, we were there in 1997, and since, mm-hmm. since we were there, I think there's been um, more mm-hmm. difficulty with water allocation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part well, of our, and the, yeah. So, so uh, before we move on to, what yeah. did they teach you? What did you learn there? We learned a lot about um, more kind of the social capital of farming, which, which is what I like to call it. We were um, in a family. We were staying with a family that had four generations living under one roof. Um, there were the cousins were just up the road in a different farm. There was the grandmother was down the road half a mile. Um, there was such a sense of camaraderie and mm-hmm. living living in a agricultural culture where everyone is involved in growing food and producing food um, was incredibly inspiring to us, and we wanted to come back and recreate that here. Now, with the water, uh, what did they, how did they irrigate? 
They uh, flood irrigated, so they have channels okay. that run through all their fields, and that, that comes from the glacial melt. And, and then they, they have wooden troughs of water coming from uh, the headwater spot. How do um, they get it down there? Um, you know, I don't actually remember, but the, the oh. soil types there are such that they didn't need to have anything in the channel except the compacted soils. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the kind of soil they had? I'm assuming it was a heavy clay, just based on the fact that it was able to hold water like that. But I don't, at that point, I didn't know anything about soils. I didn't know anything about Uh, farming at all. So I would love to go back sometime. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, and so did you ever keep a relationship with somebody there? Um, I did. We we stayed in touch with um, the family that we stayed with for three months, and Mm -hmm. we have a friend who periodically goes back, and she would Mm -hmm. bring gifts. Um, to the family from us and oh, would take mm-hmm. pictures of the family so we watch mm-hmm. the children grow up through those photographs. But, but they're, they're not... the ones that, they're your greatest influence of where you're at today, it sounds like. Yes, definitely. Yeah. They now, were okay, tell us, and... Maud, you're, tell us about, you know, I, you know what this is. This is the Power of Water show worldwide. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we bring people from all over the world. We've been in Holland uh, with the head of water in Holland, uh, Kenya, we've been all over. And uh, so, and farming has to have water. And yes. uh, the soil, I, uh, I understand the species of the soil and the species underneath the soil is the mm-hmm. aquifer. And um, tell us what you've been learning about the soil, though, before we get into any of the fun things that people are actually growing in these small farms. Sure. What are you learning about the soil now that you said you're, you're starting to learn more about that? Because that's a species. The, sur- the soil is a living life. Indeed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we actually hosted a class here at Extension in March on um, kind of managing, preparing for the drought and, and managing farms um, with the, mm-hmm. the coming drought that we knew was, was on its way this spring um, with the low mm-hmm. rainfall and snowpack. And... Um, so to answer your question, a lot of that class was focused on building soil fertility um, as a way to actually mitigate the effects of the drought. And so mm-hmm. by building your organic matter in the soil, um, you go. actually, every percent that you increase your soil organic matter, you're mm-hmm. able to um, actually hold a tremendous amount more water in your soil. Right. right. Now, this stop, and it always... Uh, Excuse me for interrupting, because when I hear something that we need to educate sure. to the audience, now teach the audience what you meant by that. We've had on the show some of the largest organic farmers in the East Coast, mm-hmm. and out of the North Dakota, South Dakota, the thousands of acres, and we got into how they were tilling the soil to draw mm-hmm. moisture out of the air to the soil. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're talking about, is that organic matter. But teach our audience what you mean by working with the soil to build uh, an influence with the, a new organic matter soil. Mm-hmm. Teach them that. Yeah, well, um, there are a few things that are kind of classically used um, for building organic soil matter. Um, the first one is to plant cover crops. And so most farmer, well, many farmers are growing annual crops and so during the winter months there's nothing growing in their field and so rather than leaving um, their soil uncovered you would actually in the fall you would seed what's called a cover crop and that typically... Now what is a cover crop? What is a cover crop? So 
a cover crop um, it is typically either it's, a, it's usually people plant a mixture of species with a cover crop, and um, usually it involves some grasses. And so the, okay. the most classic grasses would be ryegrass and oats would be very common. Okay. okay. And then um, and then in addition, you'd be planting some legu- leguminous crops, which are okay. kind of think of as the, in the bean family, the legumes. And those are crops that actually are able to um, extract uh, nitrogen from the air from a gaseous form and convert it into a soil, a plant-available form in the soil. Um, and the so those, would be, those crops would be things like fava beans. Um, all of the mm-hmm. clovers are considered mm-hmm. legumes. Um, alfalfa is a legume. Um, there's a couple lesser known ones like bird's foot trefoil that we recommend and sane foin. Those are all great legumes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would plant, plant those typically in the fall because it's one of the, one of the um, principles of managing your soils well is to make sure that your soil is always covered because if you have, if you have just bare soil in the winter months, you're going to get leaching. You're going to have erosion. You're going to lose some of that. It turns really to good. sand. It turns to sand. That's right. Yeah, it just it washes off and into the rivers. So there's sedi- there's additional sediment in the rivers, and you're losing your best soil. Exactly. Exactly. Good education there. Okay. Now, um, uh, when let's say it's a, it's a farmer that has mm-hmm. prepared, kept the soil alive, kept the soil producing, kept it energetic, electrolytically and all more. Mm-hmm. And it draws moisture from the air to the soil. And that's the key is that people have to learn all over the world. That's what we need to learn in technology. How do we draw from the moisture from the air? And that moisture that the plant is offering from the plant also keeps a healthier atmosphere, moisture in the mm-hmm. air too, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. People have to learn that. Yeah. Uh, that's why the trees of Oregon, and I one time heard this song with Pocahontas, the song from the Disney show, I think it was, and it said, the tree grows so tall, and we know how, we don't, we, we don't know how tall it will grow. Well, what happens in that, and that's what I was thinking, is it grows so tall into the, uh, into the atmosphere, and moisture comes from the atmosphere to the tree, down through the tree, into the roots, and then back cycle, recycles again. Mm-hmm. It comes back from the aquifers, from the rock, to the soil, through the trunk, up through the limbs, up to the, to the sky, from the tree. And that's yeah. what the plants are all doing. And it's so important that soil needs to be kept healthy. It's a species. And yeah, people definitely. forget that, Maud. They do. And that is now, um, tell us about what is happening in, with, with the word small farms. Uh, I know here in Oregon, in southern Oregon, there's a quite a few small farms, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you look at the USDA Agricultural Census, um, you, they they do a large, they do a census every five years. So we have a 2007 mm-hmm. census, and then we just got the results of the 2012 census. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the trends are that the size of the farms are shrinking. So I think at this point, the um, average small farm is 117 acres, and then the median farm is about 20 acres. So yeah, we are looking at fairly small parcels um, in these Jackson and Josephine counties. They are it's typical that we have these small farms. 
you know, but as we could have, hey, this is a good spot. Tell us about, and, and I'll help you if you don't know it very far, very much, uh, the information, but uh, Southern Oregon, long ago, built irrigation canals pr- because they had so much agriculture farming going on yeah. so far back. Yeah. Yeah, and they had beets and and bulbs for flowers and and Yeah, and, and hops fruit. was a big crop, and yeah, hops. of course, oh, yeah, pears. Lots for, of hops, right, hops, and tremendous. all kinds of... Right. Yeah. It was as, it was well known for the gold mines prior to that, mm-hmm. uh, all over the world. But then they moved into the uh, irrigation canals that are providing them, uh, if they're fortunate to be on those, some of those canals, uh, the uh, ability to ag- uh, irrigate uh, nice-sized small farms or large farms. Mm-hmm. What is the largest farm uh, size in southern Oregon? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Um, okay. There are people, well, they go I mean, from I think there are ranches. acres down to yeah. about 20 acres averaging. Yeah, well, I, there are farms that are certainly a lot smaller than 20 acres as well. I mean, we see people right. that are on five mm-hmm. acres that are actually producing mm-hmm. a lot of food and a, and a profitable right. business. And we have lavender farms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the we Lavender, do. and we could go on and on the... No end of uh, things that are uh, producing down here. Uh, yes, indeed, yeah. Uh, yeah, the species of the soil is being kept very healthy. Um, the the other one is now um, indoor farming uh, gardens, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. That is becoming quite a trend. And greenhouse farming, putting uh, small little greenhouses in the yard yeah. uh, to grow. Tell us a little bit about what's happening there. Um, well, there, there are a few different types of greenhouses. There are greenhouses where people are just simply propagating their plants. So mm-hmm. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll grow out the seed into starts, and then they'll transplant uh-huh. those to the field, and those, those are pretty mm-hmm. common. Um, with the small farms that I work with, um, we are always looking at niche crops because it's obviously, it's, you know, if you're on a small acreage, you don't have the equipment, you don't have the labor force to be... Um, to be able to compete for commodity crops like soybeans and wheat and corn and cotton. So we wouldn't be encouraging people to grow those commodities. We'd want them to grow what we call niche crops, so Mm -hmm. kind of specialty items that they can focus on and find direct markets for. Um, And one of the areas that we've really encouraged people to focus on are um, winter farming because there aren't a lot of people that are growing in the winter here. And so the NRCS, which is part of the federal government, they, um, for the past three years, have been providing farmers in Oregon with a cost-share program so they can actually put up what's called a high tunnel, but it's sort of in that greenhouse category. Um, Mon, I hate to interrupt you. We have to take our only break, I take. Sure. Is, and, and that is going to be an exciting education you're going to provide us about what is happening in the United States to encourage this. with our uh, government programs also. We're going to take a moment. Don't you go anywhere. I'm sure they're getting a lot of education thanks to you. Uh, We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist to supplement the eyes. Did you know the eyes are 99% water? And to supplement your eyes, you need the thirst quenching because they dehydrate. That's what vision impairment is to blindness. In fact, we've had our people call and say, did you know if I wasn't using Nature's Tears Eye Mist, I would not have a normal life? Uh, We've had people with macular degeneration, people who are almost blind, 
cannot believe what it's doing to supplement, to make their eyes much better, much more comfortable, but also a little stronger. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature Sears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Mod Powell. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Mod, you are educating us about uh, the niche farming. And then mm-hmm. something a lot of people have not probably thought about, that there's farming almost year-round. And we mm-hmm. discussed how that kept that soil, uh, the ability for the soil to keep producing and keep healthy, because soil is soil is a species. It's a living organism. Um, and then the way I was looking at it, because I've studied water for so many, many years, is if you're keeping that soil healthy, you're keeping the aquifers, the water below the soils, and the aquifers healthy too. Mm-hmm. Um, then you brought up, the uh, government programming to provide mm-hmm. a- assistance to farmers uh, to be able to uh, sustain. Uh, imp- may, it sounds like a, a year-round uh, plan uh, to keep in business and produce and keep mm-hmm. that soil healthy. Tell us about that uh, plan uh, what, so people become educated around the world what is happening with the uh, the, it's a financial plan, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. The, so the NRCS, um, and it, I think it's available in most states in the U.S., they um, offer a cost share. So it, it, they end up paying for most of what's called, like I said, it's called a high tunnel, um, which is basically like a large greenhouse structure with plastic and, and a, you know, um, metal poles so that you can have... Um, you can have things growing in the ground. So unlike in a typical greenhouse where you're just propagating starts, the plants are in the ground in your field, but they're protected from the wind, they're protected from cold weather, and so you can grow plants in them all year long and be selling them into markets that don't have a lot of fresh vegetables during oh, the winter. I'm glad time. to hear that. In fact, I predicted that years ago with my research that in time that would be a must to keep that soil healthy. Um, so they are grow- growing with greenhouses, but, the, but in other words, there's no floor to the it's a, it's a, The activity is going underneath the greenhouse effect to protect the soil to produce this niche farming. And, and how big are some of those greenhouses? 
<clears throat> I believe the greenhouses are about, usually um, th- th- there are requirements around the dimensions of the greenhouse, and right. I think typically okay. they're about 100 feet by 30 feet. Okay. And how many of those are people doing, uh, how many at a time? Um, you know, usually just one at a time. I mean, I think the cost right. share program, they just do one okay. at a time, but then... And, and then some people will just buy their own high tunnels without using the NRCS cost share program. And you, what, 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 describe high tunnel again to me. Um, a high tunnel, it's, it's kind of like a greenhouse. So you've got, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tunnel shape, so it's, um, and it's, it's hot, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably... So you're, calling um, it, uh, you're calling that green shape, a greenhouse shape a high tunnel. Yeah, that's typically what it's called. Above the ground, it's high and it's yeah. like a tunnel effect, but it's uh, it's growing. Um, uh, the, uh, the, it's growing. Uh, yeah, it might, it might be easier. Yeah, it might be easier for listeners to think of it just as, as a greenhouse, but it's in your field, so it's covering, mm-hmm. it's protecting mm-hmm. um, your crops out in your field as opposed to somewhere um, where you're just growing the starts. Which is now, yeah, you mentioned the fact that you thought they were only doing maybe one at a time. They're not doing in some places more than one at a time. Some are, yeah. I, I know a few farms that have four or five high tunnels. Um, yeah. But and just in terms of the what I was mentioning, the cost share program. Okay. Okay, the cost um, share program. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing now, is... when they account- do a cost, cost share program, excuse me again, but when they're doing a cost share program, are they getting as, as something, uh, uh, an allowance from, from a government-assisted program, and then if they do something, they have to pay it back with a, a, with a profit share? No, they don't pay it back. It's, um, okay, it's, okay, more, it's really like a grant program, but it's called a cost okay, share. Okay, it's a grant program. There we go. Okay. Oh, fun. Yeah. Now, have you heard of here in Southern Oregon, and we have a, uh, a farming going on in a greenhouse for with tilapia water, mm-hmm. grazing yeah, tilapia. And, yeah, we've had them on, and uh, raising uh, the produce in the greenhouse with the wa- recycling of the water. Uh, that is a future that's going to be huge. Yeah. Enormous future. Yeah. Yeah. And they, get, they sell the fish and then they sell the produce. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it was exciting. I've had on in New York uh, 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 greenhouses that they have no end of greenhouses in this one company, and they produce all of these produces for the restaurants and different places and the grocery stores, all in-house, but let's call it farming. Yeah, and recycling the water, keeping the water recycled. Yeah, what is your feeling? What, what is your opinion? I'm going to put you on the spot for fun. Yeah. What is your opinion on what is happening to our problems with water? Um, I think it's a huge concern. I think um, we all need to be thinking about conserving more and um, having a more appropriate relationship with water and not seeing it as this infinite source, but um, really stewarding the water that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a believer of, do you know very much about what Singapore has done with their water? No, I don't. They, they recycle everything now. Mm-hmm. And everything's right. recycled. And the planet... To be able to corresp- to live with as a species, as an organism, to live with a solar system, we have the water. Well, uh-huh. uh, and, and when that water comes down, what are we doing with it when it comes down? Let's say, yes, one year you don't have very much water. Well, what did you do to prepare for the year you might not? Mm-hmm. So exactly. when it comes down, we have to do what uh, Governor Brown did, the former Governor Brown of California, did something very wise with his legislature. He... 
he built those canals to always make sure California wouldn't make a mistake and not have enough water. Well, guess what happened? They made an enormous mistake and cut off the spigot of the canal, and you've seen their soil down there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's turning to sand. Yeah. And uh, it's, 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 living, it's losing its life. Yeah. And uh, so, like here in southern Oregon, there was a forefather who believed in the irrigation was vital to the soil of the species and that we needed irrigation canals. And they were smart in those days, way brilliant, our forefathers, as a technology mm-hmm. to be able to provide to our soils that what was so necessary. And the other way to look at it too, Maud, is when you're providing that movement of that water in the canals, and if it's fortunate to be year-round, that adds moisture to the atmosphere. And in the atmosphere has a communication then with more f- water, moisture, to the uh, um, environment to be able to be healthier. But if it's too dry, the atmosphere will not have enough rain. Mm-hmm. There's a climate problem. Sure. And the climate will change because it's not getting enough moisture to the atmosphere because our, our rivers are getting lower, the lakes are going, getting lower, and uh, those canals are, uh, where our forefathers were so smart uh, to think, consider so much more than we are today. And really the technology of considering the atmosphere, including the aquifers, including the soil. Exactly. And uh, now, tell us. Uh, move along to um, the uh, the uh, the uh, irrigation that is being necessary to have, let's say, year-round um, growth in our agriculture, our crops, our, our gardening, and more. Uh, how are they? What are they doing in the winter? If the soil, are they rototilling the soil to be able to change it again once the, the season cha- uh, is changed? They're changing the soil with another rotation of the soil uh, during different seasons. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, they're rototilling between successions. Yeah. Yeah, and then are they putting certain things into the soil to help it during the season? Uh, even in the mass um, in the mass areas of of, um, of farms, are they putting yeah. something in the soil like uh, the hay, maybe hay and corn or rototilled corn, whatever? Are they doing something to the soil to draw heat? If, like say during even the cold winter uh, times when they can get some heat out of the soil to help bring moisture to the soil. Um, well, it's going to depend a lot on what they're growing. Um, as I mentioned before, if they've got an annual crop in during the summer months, then they'll probably, mm-hmm. hopefully they'll have a cover crop growing in the winter months. And like I said, mm-hmm. that holds a lot of moisture in the soil. It, um, then when you rototill all that, um, all that organic matter in the spring, then you're helping to build your soil. And again, you're increasing mm-hmm. the water holding capacity of the soil. Um, for perennial crops, um, like grapes, you know, people aren't going to be adding, you know, they're not going to be growing a cover crop, but they may be fertilizing um, or fertigating or side dressing their crops. Um, and that would, that would also be replacing the nutrients in the soil that the crops are, are drying up. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. also use mulches during the winter months, and that's another great way to store, to hold um, moisture into the ground and, and they'll do that during this, the growing seasons as well where they'll, especially on a smaller scale, um, mulching is 
difficult if you're growing on, you know, more than, say, 10 acres because it's labor-intensive to put the mulch down. But if you're growing in a smaller acreage, you can use things like cardboard or straw. Um, mm-hmm. Wood chips can go on top of the soil, and those are all great ways to um, hold the water in the soil and prevent evapotranspiration. Well, take like when you're recycling everything you can grab onto, and and making it refined enough to where you could rototill it that into the soil to help make it warmer during different changes of climate to draw moisture out of the air. That's it's right. Like I've had on the show from Florida an agricultural scientist is well known, and and he said too, it's 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 how you do your soil, even you're growing your own lawn. If you find a way for that to retain the moisture, you won't need as much water and it'll pull more, more, more moisture out of the air, depending upon the heat of what you've done to prepare your soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had one of the largest in the United States organic garden farm, ranchers, farms, you call them, back east to 3,000 acres. And they intentionally have all the cow manure and all the hay and they they refine that and they rototill that into the soil to keep the changes of the seasons, to keep that soil alive with constant recycling. And I guess a person, they could do that with a lot of things that people wouldn't think about uh, unless they were called upon to deliver uh, certain uh, leaves and certain um, uh, bark and uh, certain things that, oh, there are manures and different things that people don't use for uh, their gardens. They could take and recycle it and take it to these large farmers and they could um, manipulate it into refining it and turning it into the soil to use, so they could, wouldn't have to use as much water. Yeah, It is amazing how much moisture, and your skin will do it too, by the way, Maud. Mm-hmm. That's where I was my first research was the human skin organ, and I looked at it like the soil of the surface of the earth, and everybody's skin is the cover of your body's water, but it's living with the atmosphere. And that skin and your body's life and existence is probably no different than the uh, agriculture of living soil, living uh, plants, living uh, species of that nature. I've often wondered why we go over and study uh, the mice or living things that are similar to living life like the human species. Why aren't we studying more about our health and our diseases with, with uh, plant life? Because we're, right. we dehydrate so quickly sure. like plants do. Yeah, oh my and, gosh. Uh, we, and the, the uh, diseases that we have within the body that are challenging are dehydration diseases. They're all that click. We're, we're having a little trigger in there. Then no pe- two people are alike, Maud. You're born with no two eyes alike, no two fingerprints alike. We're all dehydrating differently. It's no different than going to your neighbor and looking at their soil and going over to another neighbor looking at their soil. And it's how they're treating it. It's how they're living with it, with the atmosphere. And right. the atmosphere is the greatest influence on everything there is on this planet. Now, let's go back to um, the growth. What is the what are, what are they growing dominantly? And uh, we'll start out in the United States and move into Southern Oregon. What is the major gro- uh, crop that the United States is uh, number one growing? Um. I don't know the exact number one, but I know the top ones are wheat, corn, and soybeans. Wheat, corn. Mm-hmm. 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 
And in Southern Oregon, what are they dominant? What are um, they doing? The, the, if you look at the USDA census, um, hay and silage and, mm-hmm. and then cropland for raising cattle um, mm-hmm. are all pretty high up. And a lot, a lot of, uh, they're, in the gra- they're into grapes. Uh, we're um, very well known for a little bit lower on the list in terms of acreage. Okay. Um, yeah, but yeah. grapes is they are into there. that, and then uh, they have a lot of fruit mm-hmm. uh, yeah. into that. It's not as large scale, but it is what we call small yep. farming. And um, and uh, now in southern Oregon, we have a lot of grape farming and uh, a lot of fruit farming. And uh, but the larger ones you're thinking are more into the wheat and and uh, to corn, mm-hmm. more of that. Now, I've noticed a lot of corn. Um, and, and, and tell me the reci- how they do that. They've got one moment something growing, but next thing you know, they're growing corn. And Maud, they, the corn comes up in two weeks. They've got tall corn. How do they do that? <laughs> um, I'm not sure where you're talking about. I haven't seen that because it typically takes quite a oh, bit longer. Oh, I'm over here in, in Grants Pass, Oregon, and the Lower River Road, and they'll, they'll harvest one thing. Uh, and then next thing I know, here comes this corn, and the corn is coming up within two weeks, getting taller and taller and getting bigger. It's just gorgeous to watch the beautiful movement of the cycle. Mm-hmm. of what they're doing with corn. It goes so quickly. But now I'm going to have you, we don't have much time left, let's get into the hot spot one here in the United States, GMO. Educate our, our listeners about what you know about GMO. Well, I, I work for OSU, and we have taken a neutral stand on GMO. So I, I really feel like I I don't need mean to... take a stand. Educate us about what it is. Um, okay, so it stands for genetically modified organisms, and it mm-hmm. refers to organisms in which a gene from another organism is actually spliced onto that gene. So there's mm-hmm. quite a bit of confusion about GMOs. Um, some people that are anti-GMO say, you know, we want nature exactly as it was intended, um, but what they may or may not realize is that every vegetable that we eat has been selected over thousands of years in most cases. So right. something like a cucumber or um, a head of broccoli, we never would have found that in the wild. It, was, it took right. you know, thousands of years of people selecting and selecting and saving the seed um, from the plants that, you know, that had right. something that looked like our modern-day right. vegetables. Um, and so the difference really has to do with the fact that you are splicing in the gene. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it's done in labs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very technical. It, it's, it's all nothing. technology. It's, Sorry? You know, I brought, said something during our show here about technology of our lives. And water became the first description with a technology on Earth because they could move the water here, move the water there, move it around to be able to utilize it to its best and also protect it uh, uh-huh. for long-term futures. Right. Um, and so GMO, the, the idea of the technology, has been going on probably for thousands of years. 
Well, no, the GMO technology is much more recent. Well, um, I, I mean, it's a little more refined. It's a little more refined. It's, it's a lot more refined. I mean, I would say it's very, very different. Quite and, and refined I, differently, but it's, it's yeah. a, the technology started back in way back in time in other countries of the world and started no, moving no, back not, to not countries. the same as the GMO technology. That That's only been in the past half century. I mean, that, that has not been well, older than that. No, no I, I don't mean, yeah, I need to correct myself. I'm glad you did that. But the GMO is another techno- advanced technology from thousands of years of knowledge of how to refine it. Into yeah, another but it's a very different technology. I mean, selecting mm-hmm. selecting from a population of plants for the the mm-hmm. gene that you for the uh, characteristics you want is very different than going in and splicing a different gene. And we okay, don't. We I mean, go. there's some research, but it is a very new technology. And we don't know the long term. Kind of like stem cell transplants. Uh, yeah, we're learning. Yeah. Uh, and stem cell transplants more. Um, we've had on here eye stem cell transplants from Harvard and uh, different directions of technology to go. So, but there's a lot to learn. And there's, but you know, Maude, it's education too. It's, the education is so important to the public because they don't understand what, 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 we're, what has been going on and what, what is there. And, and when yeah. they hear about it, they don't, uh, you know, some people will take a stand on either way with yeah. not really understanding, uh, like yourself do, to, edu- to educate it about what it, what it's, what it means. Um, now on, with the GMO, does it take as much water to use that more refined, uh, gene, um, of a species than it would the old style, the other style? Um, it's, I don't think any of the, the GMOs um, that are currently on the market would do that. It, it, that is a potential that you could splice a gene that was more drought tolerant. Um, so that that is possible. I mean, I think that um, the concern around GMOs is. I mean, I I look at it more from an economic point of view, and we do have a lot of um, organic seed growers in Southern mm-hmm. Oregon. Um, right, we in do. Fact, yeah. In fact, um, I found out recently that there is the highest concentration of organic seed growers in Southern Oregon than anywhere on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And so what it means to have um, GMOs being grown um, is that there is cross-pollination that happens. And as soon as that GMO pollen gets into an organic seed grower's pollen, then they can, they can no longer sell their crop. There we go. So, that's good education for us. Yeah. So well, that's, we're out of time. Say, Okay. We're out of time, and um, I really enjoyed it every minute. But tell our audience where to go find uh, find out more information from you. Yeah, well, you can go to our website, um, and we are. I work primarily at SORAC, which is the Southern Oregon Research and Extension Center, and the website for that is extension. dot oregon state. dot edu slash SOREC, S-O-R-E-C. And, right. yeah, we offer lots of programs in Jackson and Justine counties. We've got a class on pasture management coming up in, in Grants Pass um, at the mm-hmm. end of this month. Next Saturday we're hosting a class on seed production. Um, so, yeah, we've got lots of great classes. We offer I've, I've got only a moment program. left on this whole show, but I've got to tell you, run real quickly. I was in Medford recently, and I saw these plants. They're the most gorgeous coleus and impatience growing in this landscaping over in this business section of uh, that I just walked left and I called the, uh, the landscape people and I said, how are you getting those plants to, uh, to not wilt? 
uh, and be so beautiful during 107-degree weather. And did I ever start grabbing ten, um, information from him, what they were doing, to keep on 107-degree weather, those plants look like they were growing in Hawaii. <laughs> but I will okay. let you go, Maude. I thank you so okay. much for your time and everyone yeah. there, and uh, looking forward to having you on again someday. Okay, thank you so much. You have a very special day, and thank you for your time. Okay, bye-bye. Well, I enjoyed every minute of that. I hope you got a lot of education. And without the water, we'd have no planet, and we'd have no plant life, and there would be no you. You've got to have water, and your life depends upon water and the atmosphere. Well, I want to thank you for listening today. I want you to embrace your life every special moment. It is your special life. But Earth always whispers to us, don't say goodbye and don't take it all with you. Leave something behind as a legacy for all the generations of children to come to let them know you care. I want to thank you for listening. It's the power of water. And I thank everybody at World Talk Radio, Voice America, Apple to iTunes, all of our syndication, and uh, everybody who's been just wonderful to us. You have a very nice day. Bye. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel, with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Hour.com.